So this summer, I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. during my sabbatical, and I got to visit Gallaudet University, and several friends of mine went there, and Museum of the Bible, and those were fun. But then the rest of what I saw in D.C. was just depressing, discouraging. I mean, it was memorials remembering some of the most devastating wars ever fought, World War II, Vietnam, Korea. Even the Lincoln Memorial, this giant sculpture of Abraham Lincoln, in that room really is a reminder of our Civil War. And his second inaugural address is on the wall. And, And listen to what he said all those years ago. Neither party expected for the war, the magnitude, or the duration which it has already attained. Both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance and wringing their bread from the sweat of another men's faces by slavery. But let us judge not that we not be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. And when I read that, I just think, even one of my heroes, how could you see things like that? I mean, it's obvious now, looking back, And even in that moment, you would want to think that how could you choose this side over the other side when slavery is so obviously evil? Even looking at the scriptures, you can see the trajectory towards freedom for all and how people of faith actually were the abolitionists all those years later. And yet, how blind we are. And oftentimes, this happens over and over again in countries fighting countries and people fighting people and in our relationships. We just know we are right and the other person is wrong. We are so blinded. You see, evil seeks to divide us. This is a common trait, being human. And I deal with the exact same tendency when counseling with married couples who are headed towards divorce. Both so clearly see what is wrong with the other, unable to see their part in their story. By the way, I had a conversation with a family member whose kids are grown up and from his first marriage, and he said to me, you know, if I had known getting divorced all those years ago, I would still have to learn how to communicate to my ex I would have done more work because I still see her all the time. (laughs) With kids, we cannot miss each other. Every holiday, every wedding, everything, she's still in my life. (laughs) And so I, I wonder if you've realized this human condition that all people everywhere can be blinded to our own wrongs and shortcomings, even though we have crystal clear vision, 2020, about what's wrong with the other person. And we criticize, we villainize, and we dehumanize that person to elevate our own cause. Well, in marriage, dwelling on what's wrong with someone else is one of the top relationship killers. But that's true at work, and it's true at friendships too. Really, this series, whether you're married or not, is about becoming a loving, growing person who can make any relationship last. And looking, though, at these studies of married couples, three million of them through Prepare and Enrich that we use in our premarital counseling, 
In a study done across ethnicities, across cultures, they found 83% of troubled marriages said, my partner is too negative or critical. 80% of troubled marriages said, my partner makes comments that put me down. Now, on the positive side, 79% of those who describe themselves as happily married said, my partner does not make comments that put me down. Putting the other person down with negativity and criticism is the third greatest killer of a relationship. The last two weeks, if you missed, you can go back and listen on my website or read the notes on how communication and being inflexible can kill relationship. But right now, I want us to do a little relational IQ test. And don't worry, you cannot fail. But one of these will be most accurate of you. And just in your own mind, just consider which of these sounds like you. First, if you heard all my thoughts, you'd say they were mostly negative and critical or often negative and critical, sometimes positive and believing the best or mostly positive and believing the best. All right? Got your answer? Let's do the next one. What I hear in my head when I mess up is personally condemning, self-critical, comforting, reassuring, and hopeful. Now, if you assessed yourself as being on the more negative end, the more critical end, I want to encourage you that there is hope that you can actually make progress. And some of us were raised in very negative and critical environments, and so it's learned behavior that we can actually change. But negative and critical spirit can actually harm our long-term relationships. Now, critical thinking can be important, right? We, there are moments, you, you want engineers who build bridges to think critically. You want doctors to think critically. When you come in, you want them to figure out what's wrong so they can fix it. You don't want a doctor saying something like, you know what? I don't know what that growth on your back is, but let's just wait and see how it turns out. Think positive, <laughs> right? We, we, critical thinking is important, but in the right time, in the right place. See, when it comes to relationships, people don't want to live with negative, critical people. They can do that at work. But instead, we want to live our lives with people who are positive, who encourage us, who believe the best in us. And as we talked about last week, it's our responsibility to choose to have a good attitude. It's something that we can actually do no matter what the circumstances, no matter how other people might act, we can choose how we react. One of the authors of several letters in the scriptures named Paul wrote these words, while in prison to a group of believers in a town called Philippi. He writes this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned from or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, for some of us, peace is elusive because we're not thinking of those things which lead towards peace. We're dwelling on the things that are wrong. And the scriptures tell us actually to think on those things that are true and noble and praiseworthy and lovely and admirable and noble and excellent and right and pure. 
When we think of these things, when we focus, when we meditate on these things that lead towards health and wholeness, we're in a better position to see things the way God sees them. We can learn to look and see the best in others, not the worst, see the beautiful, not the ugly, to see the things to praise rather than things to curse. It's a choice that we need to focus on. We program our minds either towards negativity and criticism or to interpret things with more hope, with positivity. Listen to this passage also from Paul. He writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You and I can transform, renew how we think and what we think about. Because what we think about, what we dwell on, the thoughts we meditate on, they actually shape and renew our minds either in line with what God says is true or with what leads to destruction. Modern science agrees. A 2017 article, you probably all read, from Psychology Today was called this. How do neuroplasticity and neurogenesis rewire your brain? Remember that? Uh, Let me just, in case you missed it, let me just share a few thoughts from it. Basically, it says our thoughts, our beliefs, and what we dwell on actually shapes neural pathways in our brain. We can literally carve out a negative rut in our minds, a well-worn negative rut that we automatically travel down. Doesn't matter which relationship, which circumstance, we just find ourselves going down that same negative path. But science is... confirming what God has actually told us through the scriptures. They also said that you can rewire your brains. There's a woman named Dr. Caroline Leaf, a neuroscientist and a follower of Jesus who wrote a book called Switch On Your Brain. And here are some of the highlights. She says this, when you think, you build thoughts and these become physical substances in your brain, which sounds a lot like the scripture passage that says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. She also writes, you cannot control the events and circumstances of life, but you can control your reaction, which sounds a lot like rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Have you ever wondered what is God's will for my life? It's to be more joyful, more thankful. By the way, you know, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you've heard of us talk about the 60-60 experiment. On the hour, every hour, the alarm goes off, the app goes off, and we're to pray. If you and I were to take negative moments and negative thoughts that pop into our brain and use that as a reminder to pray, we would pray far more than just once an hour. (laughs) To pray continually means to take those thoughts and hand them over to God. The next thing she writes is good thinking leads to good choices, which leads to healthy thoughts. Toxic thinking leads to toxic choices and leads to toxic thoughts. You can see this pattern, which reminds us of Deuteronomy 30. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. She writes, you are designed to stand outside yourself and observe your own thinking and change it. As we read earlier, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And listen to this. She writes, each morning when you wake up, you have new baby nerve cells born inside your brain to use wisely as you remove bad thoughts and wire in new ones. 
Or as the scripture says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So how does all this science of neuroplasticity and thought relate to relationships? Well, the scriptures uses spiritual terms to describe what's happening in our minds. Second Corinthians says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against this knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, there's a connection between our thoughts and our spiritual relationships, our relationship with God. See, evil thoughts are trying to drive a wedge between us and God, between us and the people we care for. There's a civil war going on in our minds. There's a spiritual battle that we face day after day. And we can either follow down that negative rut or pay attention and take those thoughts captive and hand them over to God, ask him to reshape our mind, to reshape how we view our marriage, our relationships at work, our roommates, our extended family, our friends. But see, here's the catch. Our minds are always working. Right now, you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, spiritual battle, that sounds horrifying. And you look down at your fingers and notice that you've been chewing your fingernails. And you think, why do I keep doing that? I'm such a nervous wreck. And then you think, you know, it's my boss's fault. If I didn't have such a bad boss, you know what? I would quit my job except for I married someone who has so much debt. And then your mind keeps going. You know what? The day after Labor Day, I'm going to tell my boss off. That's what you're thinking right now. And then you're thinking, why am I thinking that at church? I shouldn't be thinking that at church. And then you're thinking, you know what, that couple in front of us, they look like they get along better than we do. I bet they don't argue about finances. You know what, I can't stand how much debt we have, how much money he or she spends. And then you're thinking, is that guy still talking? How much longer is he going to be talking? I'm so hungry. That's what's happening right now in all of your minds, in some degree or another. And that happens all the time. And the catch is we have to learn to take our thoughts captive, not let our thoughts take us captive. We don't have to follow down. Squirrel, we don't have to do that. (laughs) We can focus. We can continue down the path of healthy thinking so that leads to healthy actions. See, our thoughts are powerful. They move us forward towards the life God intended to build each other up and to encourage one another. Or they can start off subtle and yet no less evil. There's darkness that's trying to steal and kill and destroy our relationships. And when we resist the dark thoughts, they actually will cease. But if we dwell on them, we continue down a path towards destruction. On a very important note, for some of us, focus is not the issue. If you have struggled with being able to control what's happening in your mind mentally, or if you've even struggled with suicidal thoughts, let us know. We would love to point you towards some professional help. And that's critical to understand. But for many of us, it's a pattern that we can unlearn. The way to change our thoughts is to start taking responsibility for what we're thinking and what we're dwelling on and what we're meditating on. We can actually learn to train our mind to see the positive in people and situations. When it comes to relationships, psychiatrist and counselor John Levy says, 
People who found everything disappointing in their life as singles are surprised and pained when marriage proves to be no exception. My wife and I on Fridays like to go out for breakfast and a movie because the school district is babysitting our kids. It's perfect. <laughs> this last week we saw a, a ridiculous little romantic comedy and this is, this is actually a line in the film. This woman says, I just want a child so I can be unconditionally loved. I thought... Whoever wrote that has never had a child. <laughs> it is the opposite. But you can see how she is setting herself up for one more disappointment. And how we think determines how we see the world and how we live. And when we become negative and critical, even those things that are so cute, things that we used to love about that person we were dating, now that we're married, it annoys us. Right? All of a sudden, it matters to you more than anything where they squeeze the toothpaste <laughs> or how they put on the toilet paper. In fact, I want to settle what is the right way to put on the toilet paper right now. All right, how many of you say it's over the top? You put it on over the top. How many of you say no, it's underneath, coming up from underneath? I have proof that all of you who just raised your hand are wrong. All right, right here. The original patent from 1891 shows the correct rolling direction. And so now you know. One important thing to apply from what you heard this morning, right? But now that the first group is right, we have to actually let it go because really it doesn't matter. As long as there's toilet paper there, right? That's the most important part. So here's the catch. How do we become people who have healthy, strong, lasting relationships? Well, Jesus tells us, but I'm, I'm going to warn you right now, you're not going to like what he says. All right? But stay with me. He says this, do not judge. Some of you are like, you're already checking out. No, just listen. I'm, I promise, just listen. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, some of you think, but that's how I view the world. I, I'm judging everyone all the time. That's how I was raised, right? That's why you have family reunions. <laughs> so you can drive off and talk about how stupid everybody else is, right? But see, what's wrong with judging? Well, judging, according to Jesus, is blinding to us. We are blinded to the truth about ourselves. It actually damages our relationships. It damages others. It keeps us from humbly listening to God's spirit, allowing him to change the only person we're actually given responsibility to change, which is ourselves. And Jesus says, when we do this, when we pull out that measure to measure them, we're actually measuring ourselves. Our very words are a judgment against ourself. As many of you know, I wrote a book several years ago. We just re-released the 10th anniversary edition. It's called Not Like Me. It's about loving, serving, and influencing people who look differently, make different choices than you would, come from different backgrounds spiritually, and when I first submitted the manuscript back in 2005, the original version, she sent it back saying, I, I love a lot of what you had to say, but you're being awfully judgmental of people who are judgmental. <laughs> and I said, isn't that the point, right? 
And she tried to encourage me, and I, and I took her advice. She said, you will never be able to change the mind of someone who feels judged by you. But if you can show them your journey and how you've overcome, it can help them find their way. See, you and I, when we judge other people, we go against what Jesus is saying. He's teaching us to stop and reflect on our own actions, actions that we find in ourselves rather than judging and criticizing others. We are reminded that all the anxiety and fear and bitterness and pride that we feel when we're judging others makes us completely blind to the healthy path forward for ourselves and for our relationships. See, what Jesus is saying is we need more humility. What Jesus is saying is we need to ask God to remove our blinders so we can see ourselves clearly. If all of us would just truly judge ourselves rightly and allow God access to change us, we'd all be better off. Well, Jesus keeps going and it gets worse. Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, so many marriages, so many partnerships, so many relationships could have been saved if each person would focus on asking God to help them see themselves clearly, as much as we end up focusing on what the other needs to change. See, every time you see something that needs fixing or changing or correcting in another person, then just stop and pray. You can start with God, change them. You can start there, but quickly move to, and God, show me what you want to change in me. Like I want this person to change. Ask God to take the log out of your eye so you can see the area that you need to work on that may be equally challenging for that person. If all of us would work on ourselves as much as we try to work on others, the world would be a better place. Now, some of you may be asking, in your mind, your thoughts are going, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what is Jesus saying? Is he just saying, just live and let live? You do your thing, and I'll do mine? What if the person I'm in a relationship with is doing really harmful things? They're very hurtful to me and the kids. Do we not have a right to say anything? If someone we love is destroying themselves or destroying us, that's actually not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, once you get the log out of your eye, you're in a better position to help someone else. See, the log is having a judgmental attitude. We're actually invited to help others, to correct others, to judge between what's right and wrong, to judge whether an action is good or evil, but not with a judgmental attitude. See, later in Matthew, Jesus tells us, if someone sins against you, go to that person and show them how they've hurt you that they might have the opportunity to say that they're sorry so that the relationship can be healed. When Jesus saw hypocrisy in the religious leaders, he spoke out, he confronted them. We are told to be discerning, but the key is we're to judge from right and wrong, but the key is this, we are to do it with humility and self-awareness and in love for the benefit of the other person and to restore the relationship. When you come to someone with a way to correct them and it's for the point of putting them down, it will go nowhere. If you come to them with an awareness of your own faults in the relationship, 
and you come to them in hopes of restoring the relationships, you can feel the difference. The log of judgmental attitudes is gone. The, the log of condemnation has been removed. Well, then Jesus continues in verse six with a really kind of odd phrase. He says this, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And some of you are saying, okay, finally, I agree with Jesus, right? My spouse is a pig, All right? This is perfect. He or she does not deserve my pearls of wisdom, right? Is what you're thinking. But actually what he's saying is you can't give something sacred or valuable to someone who's not ready to receive it, to someone who has no value for what you have to offer. See, it's in the context of Jesus talking about correcting and helping others. He's not saying that some people are pigs and don't deserve this wisdom that we have. The point is they're not in a state to be helped. So when we try to force truth on someone, it's useless. In fact, when we do that, it leads to them attacking us, and then the cycle continues. It backfires when we try to force truth on others. See, if we are people who force our pearls of wisdom on others, even if we think we have the best of intentions, we are actually taking responsibility out of their hands and out of God's hands and trying to bring them under our control. When we condemn or force, we're not respecting them as spiritual beings responsible before God alone for their course of action. All right, so then what are we to do? Also in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. When something bugs us and we begin to feel this judging, critical, anxious, fear-based attitude springing up, just ask. Ask God to help you see clearly what is bothering you. Ask God to show you what is in you that needs to change in this situation. Ask that God help the person that's frustrating you. And ask God to show you the ways that you can change. See, if you back off and you stop trying to manipulate and you really try to respect the person, you love them by treating them the way that you want to be treated, then all of a sudden you're shifting back to become their ally instead of their enemy, as intended. Some of the people that are supposed to be closest to us have become our enemy, but God has brought them into our life to be our ally and we're to be their ally. See, this way of relating, of knowing God's truth and then helping each other live it out by asking God for help, not by judging or condemning or blaming or forcing, this will transform every one of your relationships. And in that environment, rather than judging one another, we help one another grow. We help each other get the logs out of each other's eyes. And so I want to summarize, just give you five quick things to help you. I wrote an article just recently and, and, and posted it on my website. It's called Peace Through Anxiety. And the same principles will work even when you find judgmental thoughts coming to mind. First, every time you find yourself being judgmental or find yourself struggling with an anxious or bitter thought, see that as the reminder to reconnect with God. Now, it's important to remember that it is not a sin to be tempted have you ever had a weird and horrible thought just pop into your mind? Now, sometimes you could just take that and be overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I will never get better. In fact, I'm worse than I thought. 
Or you could realize, wait a minute, that's a reminder. I need to reconnect with God. That's not who I am. That's not who I'm going to be. See, these negative thoughts, we can use them to send us back to the positive path of connecting to God. Two, take your thoughts and feelings captive. Give your thoughts to God and let him realign how you feel and what you're thinking with his love and what's true, which leads to the third, replace the lies with truth. That's why reading the scriptures and even memorizing scriptures so that we can put back in front of us what is actually true, even when it doesn't feel like it is. Number four, reach out to a friend, call them, text them, get together. See, that's why we really encourage you to start connecting with others by serving. That's why we point you towards starting gate. That's why we have these Be Transformed cards, connecting with support groups, going to a class like Redemptive Parenting or being a part of Alpha or a life group. These are opportunities to get to know other people so that when you need help, they're there for you, just as you can be there for them. And finally, live in the light even when you don't feel like it. The best way to live in the light is to really invest in your own spiritual growth. Take your spiritual growth seriously so that you can live in the light rather than being sucked into the darkness. So the band has come up and they're gonna lead us in a song and I want you to take advantage of these moments. as a See it as a reflective moment for yourself to connect with God. And maybe just pray a bold prayer. God, would you show me what I need to change? Would you show me my blind spots? Even if it's ugly, even if it hurts, he wants to guide you towards the truth of who you can be in a life fully surrendered to him, a life where we love others the way God loves us. So in this moment, consider what is God saying to you?